Good morning. Today is Friday, April 1st, and happy April Fool's Day. Uh, welcome to Zoom with Zarni. At the top of this, I'm going to just say nothing I'm about to tell you is an April Fool's joke, but there's a lot of things going on. Uh, I, this, I have an interview today with Danielle Brecker. She is the co-lead organizer for Empire State Indivisible. Uh, we have a great conversation about the New York State budget, as well as uh, you know democracy issues here in New York State. Uh, it's a great organization. She was a great interview guest. Please stick around for the interview. There is some breaking news that I do want to talk about, though, is because the New York State redistricting maps, the new Senate maps and congressional maps and assembly maps uh, were all struck down just a few hours ago uh, by Steuben uh, uh, County judge uh, in the first phase of the redistricting uh, trial. Um, so what does that mean? Well, remember that this is only several hours old. So some of the information I'm gonna give you uh, will be updated and I'm sure we'll be talking about that in depth in my commissioner in a car on Monday, when we have a few more answers. But what this means in the meantime is that there will be an appeal of this decision. And when there is an appeal, when the state appeals a decision at the trial level to the appellate court, there's an automatic state, which means that the order that has been uh, put in by Judge McAllister uh, upending uh, the calendar and, and possibly setting even another primary date in August, all of that um, is on hold uh, until the appellate court rules. Now, what will the appellate court rules? Well, that's up to them. And how, when will it be? Probably three to six weeks at the earliest uh, before we um, see uh, what, what is happening. So the drawing of new maps, uh, all, all of the order that the Judge McAllister put in place will, be, will have a stay on it, which means that for now, Petitions will be uh, turned in as normal April 4th through 7th on the congressional lines and the state Senate and assembly lines that uh, were put in place by the New York State Legislature, awaiting uh, word from the appellate court about whether those lines are valid or whether those lines can be changed this late in the calendar in this, in this year. So uh, I will say that if this order is upheld, this will mean that we will have three elections, one in June, one in August, and one in November uh, within a five month uh, time period. This will be an extraordinary lift for boards of elections uh, and an extraordinary lift for New Yorkers. And I gotta be honest, it, it seems to be going with the territory, right? <laughs> we are always ending up to do uh, the impossible. Um, and you know, since 2020, we've been doing the impossible, actually since 2019. So uh, it seems to be another year where there will be some impossibilities. That to be being said, we don't know whether this uh, order will be upheld on appeal um, wh and whether it will be ordered to be in effect for this year as opposed to two years from now. So uh, there's a lot to, uh, you know, the lot, a lot to figure out, a lot to uh, see what will happen over the next few years. I do know that the Republicans are very happy with this decision, but they also chose this court for this reason. Uh, we'll see what happens on the appeal. Uh, so uh, stay tuned. But in the meantime, please uh, listen to my interview with Danielle Brecker. She's the co-lead organizer of Empire State Indivisible. 
and uh, a, uh, a great advocate for democracy and elections here in New York. Thank you very much and enjoy. And I'm very happy to have my good friend or my new good friend, Danielle Brecker. Uh, she's the co-lead organizer of Empire State Indivisible. And uh, we met uh, while we were testifying together a little bit over a month ago. Uh, and I've always wanted to get some more Indivisible um, groups onto this podcast because they do so much great work. Danielle, thank you so much for coming on Zoom with Zarni. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to talk about Indivisible and everything New York State. So let's start with that. Uh, you know, obviously, Indivisible was founded uh, uh, I, 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 in the wake of the Trump election. But talk, talk to us about Indivisible. What it, you know? Where, how did it start, and what is it doing now? Um, so it started. It was actually a PDF, and the PDF went around, and it basically told you how to how to win in in kind of the Trump world. This was maybe no late November, twenty sixteen. And a PDF went out and it said, this is how you get your lawmakers to do what you want them to do. And it was just a series of tactics. And it kind of took off and chapters or clubs kind of you know, came up from that PDF. And Empire State Indivisible was one of those organizations. It sort of started, it started actually after Trump was inaugurated. Um, and frankly, we were building the plane as we were flying it. It was very, you know, we were just sort of trying things, seeing what worked. And we had, you know, we would have meetings where we would have hundreds of people show up and they would just be so worried about what, what Donald Trump was going to do quite rightly and wanted to do something and indivisible kind of laid out the framework. You can call your electives. This is what you say. This is how you do it. It, you can go to a town hall and you can either ask them tough questions or bird dog them. You can have a town hall with an empty seat and talk about all the issues and sort of shame them. You can primary them and say, this person isn't working for us. And then it also said things like, it all starts locally, which is sort of where Empire State Indivisible kind of landed when we realized or we learned that there was this thing called the um, Independent Democratic Conference, the IDC, and that right here at home, we had problems in our you know, blue state with these, these Democrats that were caucusing with Republicans or Trump Democrats as we called them. And that was sort of where we, we continued with the federal work, but we also were decided our mission was to get rid of the IDC. And that's where we kind of came together. Um, and where we do, we still continue to do that work. Uh, Indivisible National continues to focus on mostly federal issues. And um, right now the Supreme Court and making sure we get the new Supreme Court justice confirmed. Um, we, Empire State Indivisible continues to focus on federal issues, but now we really focus on the budget, getting, you know, getting the budget process fair, democracy issues at both the state and federal level, and then certain candidates that we endorse to run. Or seats. Yeah, well, it's, um, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Supreme Court because we've had a little bit of a focus on that on this podcast since the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and uh, the um, reshaping of this arch uh, uh, conservative Supreme Court. And one of the focuses we've talked about is that what it's going to mean for voting rights. And voting rights are under 
assault in New York, and not necessarily in New York, but definitely nationwide. And the Supreme Court is enabling that. Um, and so, uh, you know, having Judge uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson in there, it won't change the ideology of the Supreme Court, but at least it will make sure that we're not going to lose any more ground. And uh, but uh, so, you know, Empire State Indivisible. Um, it's funny you should mention IDC because that you know we had uh, Dave Valeski in Central New York, but um, in in in. Uh, you know, in all fairness, friend of mine, a uh, good man, uh, but, you know, Rachel may beat him and now she's a great senator as well. So that was part of the wave that has brought uh, um, Democrats to power in New York. Um, and, uh, but, to, you know, that that fight is continuing. So you talked about the budget. What What is uh, Empire State hoping to get out of, uh, out of the budget this year? Um, so kind of, Big picture goal, we would like to kind of reform the process so that we're not, it's not, I guess now it's three people in a room, you know, kind of making decisions. But this year, what we are really looking for over in an overarching way is a budget that invests in New Yorkers and our communities and our democracy and not policies that harm us or subsidies that help out the rich and the powerful. We really want a budget that invests in people and takes care of us and you know, helps us out after these terrible two years of this pandemic and really a pretty terrible five years with the former president and I guess the former governor as well. well yeah, so how do you how do you think that this budget, uh, it, you know, session is going? Obviously, this is uh, Governor Hochul's first budget, um, you know, and, uh, you know, being an election year. Um, but also, you know, there's been this kind of... Uh, setbacks that we had last year, uh, you know, in New York statewide and but also nationwide where Democrats didn't do as well. And now uh, the 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 majorities that we have in, in the assembly and most especially the Senate are uh, in New York are, um, you know, are up. And, uh, and so there's this thought that could we lose the executive? Could we lose the Senate? And I think that's playing out in the budget. So how do you, how do you see how this budget uh, session is going? Um, well, so to start, Empire State Indivisible is part of the Invest in Our New York Coalition. And it was started actually three years ago, but last year I think was the year it kind of gained momentum. And last year we were able to get some tax increases on the super wealthy enacted. And with that combined with the money we got from the federal government gave us a surplus of somewhere between seven and $10 billion. And we, so one thing we see is that we, we think that that money needs to be spent. Like we we're still in a crisis. We need to spend the money. We think that people ultimately vote when they vote for people, when they're taken care of. Um, and so we think one, we need to take care of our of people who live here, but we also need to think strategically about voting. Like, I'm more likely to vote for you if you're doing something that is actually helping my community. Um, and so what we're seeing, I think, in the budget is kind of this fight of, you know, the new governor who, you know, is not, certainly not the past governor, but, you know, has a little bit of that tendency to want to put some money away from the rainy day, be a little careful, maybe roll back some of the reform, obviously roll back bail reform and other reforms that we have. Um, maybe wants to kind of stick with this maybe trickle down kind of view of economics and invest in football stadiums and corporations and developers. 
instead of investing in people and policies like childcare and um, housing and um, um, home care work that would help kind of, it will help the economy, but it would also help many New Yorkers. Um, I was in Albany on Monday. Um, it was a very, it's, first of all, it's very strange to go back after two years of not being there. Um, but it is a very different vibe. Like there's a lot of people there. There's a lot of different opinions. There is a lot of concern about the elections. But, you know, we made our point that we want investment, that we don't want bail rollbacks. We don't want a stadium in Buffalo for a billion dollars. Um, but at the same time, we're hearing that, you know, there's worry and that, that there, there, it is a big fight and we don't know if we're going to get everything we want. I'm also hearing that the budget negotiations will likely go through the weekend, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we're we're recording this on Wednesday night. This is going to air on uh, uh, Friday, April first, and that's when the budget is supposed to be due. But as we know, that New York has, although recently made, uh, has has gotten on time budgets. New York has a long history of not necessarily meeting that <laughs> that deadline. So uh, I imagine. Um, you know, obviously, when we uh, testified together, we testified on local government, uh, and and uh, and I was testifying about uh, investment in democracies. And New York has done well since uh, taking over the Senate uh, and and having a unified democratic government in, in investing in democracy. But we still have a long way to go. Um, and I know Empire State Indivisible has uh, a long track record of. Uh, you know, being vocal on democracy issues. So, what are you are what are you hoping to see, whether it's in the budget or after the budget, in uh, democracy issues in New York? So, on the budget, um, the first and foremost thing that we are asking for is forty million dollars in public campaign finance matching funds for the program that will start in twenty twenty four. This amount is in the Senate one house budget, but not in the governor or the assembly's budget. So, we are we are that is our first priority because that is what I was testifying about. It's also a program that we worked on um, for many, many months over a year to get passed. And now we need to fund it and implement it. And then post-budget, we are working to make sure that that program gets implemented in a way that it's strong, it's successful, that people use it and people respect it much the way that the public finance program is kind of revered in the city of New York. Um, the second thing we're asking for in the budget is 10 million in aid to local BOEs, boards of elections. Um, I think it probably needs to be more, but I think that's what we're realistically going to get. Um, and then we are also asking for 5 million in new, um, to support the New York Voting Rights Act. Now that bill hasn't actually passed yet. It's the John Lewis New York Voting Rights Act. Um, the substance of the bill will, we think is going to pass in late April, early May, but if we can get that 5 million in the budget, it shows a commitment to getting that bill done. And we so desperately need that bill. New York is infinitely better than other states and our, and, and even our federal, um, government, but we need to lead and we need to get this passed here because we should be the leaders. We should be the beacon on the Hill, which we haven't always been. Yeah, I think many people uh, don't realize that, you know, we live in New York, we live in a blue state, um, but really until 2019, when it came to voting, we were antiquated. I mean, we were mostly in person state and, uh, 
you know, and, and we stayed in mostly in-person state and still are, unfortunately, with the uh, um, with the loss of the constitutional uh, questions last year. But we have expanded. There is early voting now. We've expanded the hours of early voting. We've expanded the number of early voting sites. So that will help, you know, in, in the future. But of course, all of this costs money. And when we fund them on the county levels, we have county governments that may not necessarily be in favor of all these reforms and thus don't want to fund them to their full extent. And, and New York has, uh, you know, generally been against funding at the state level, but hopefully, you know, obviously the 10 million for local county BOEs is singing my uh, song a little bit here, but I, I, I uh, also am a supporter of the the NYVRA and, um, you know, I, I obviously as an administrator, it becomes a lot more work for me, but uh, so I want to see it streamlined to the point where it's easy to, to, to adopt. But I think people forget that in New York, we recovered under, uh, you know, section two of the Voting Rights Act uh, in, in, many area, in many areas in New York City, uh, it wasn't just a Southern thing. And, and, the, and the Shelby County decision really hurt, uh, you know, the, those uh, pre-clearance sections you know, of, of, of America, and some of which were in New York. So I think that's uh, all stuff that we need to get done. Um, what, what are you hoping for post-budget besides NYVRA? Are there any uh, democracy issues that you're you're working on. I mean, the campaign finance stuff, I'm, I'm going to be having some people on about that. Uh, I had Joanne as a Denise of uh, Brennan Center on uh, a couple of weeks ago talking about that as well. Uh, that's going to be something very new to upstate New York. But what are some other democracy issues that you're working on? Um, we're also working on the um, authorized voting for people who are incarcerated. Um, it's a Senate bill, and we're hoping to get it passed um, so that people who are incarcerated can vote in where they are in their correctional facility. Um, we are also, we have been working for two years now, it's been passed for a second year on the Democracy Preservation Act. Um, it's been passed in the Senate, not the Assembly. We're hoping to get it passed into the Assembly. So that will basically prohibit political contributions um, from corporations with foreign ownership or interest. Um, so and sort of take that influence out of our elections. Um, I'm not totally sure if that's an issue throughout the state, but definitely an issue in New York City. Um, we also are committed to what's called the wrong church ballot issue, which is a strange name to me, but basically it means that right now, if you go in to vote at a polling place in your county and it's not the right one, and they give you an affidavit, often that affidavit vote won't be counted. So you, you, what they're supposed to be doing is directing you to an, your correct polling place. Often that doesn't happen. This will fix that so that you can just vote anywhere in your county. Um, and so in the 2020 general election, 13,800 New Yorkers vote didn't count because they voted affidavit in the wrong place. And that's ridiculous. Um, people make mistakes, people move. I, like I live in Queens, it's super dense. It's not always totally clear where you're supposed to go vote. So, you know, we should, it, it seems like a silly, it should pass. Um, and then we are looking at BOE reform. Um, that's a very loaded, big topic. Okay. But we are hoping to like ha pass some BOE reform. It will probably continue for many years. And then I would say the last, well, the last couple things are banned hybrid voting machines, which um, there's some issues with the language in the bill, but hopefully we'll get it right. 
And then we need to figure out a way to get the things that failed in the constitutional amendments back on the ballot, probably in 2024, in language that makes sense and kind of do some education so people understand why these are important and aren't listening to kind of the I'll say Republican talking points. Well, they, were. they were, they were. It was a, it was a conservative party who uh, organized and out-organized uh, us on this, and the Republicans joined in on this. And uh, I mean, when I say out-organized, it's because you know I've been very critical of the New York State Democratic Party on those issues because we kind of fell asleep. And um, you know, I, whether it was the post-Trump uh, malaise or just the thought that voting reform has been easier in New York lately. And so we thought it would be easy again, um, especially on the heels of a pandemic. Why would people vote against absentee ballots? And yet I do think it got wrapped up with the, the redistricting uh, constitutional amendment, but also we just got out work and we got outplayed. And, and outspent. I mean, in yeah. you know where I live, which there's no, like it's, I'm in like an 84% democratic district we were getting Republican ads on the radio against them. And it, you know, they spent a lot of money. <laughs> and so, you know, and all of those things are, you know, most of the things that I agree with. I, I even agree with some BOE reform. I just don't necessarily, I, I'm a big supporter of the bipartisan boards, but I don't believe that we shouldn't be accountable. I think we should be accountable. I think we should be more trans, transparent. And I think there's some legislation that can go towards that. Um, and I hope to see some of that. And I also think that resources need to be devoted, devoted because it doesn't matter who's in charge. If there's no resources, you're, you're going to be in trouble no matter what. But um, so, you know, we, we have talked on this podcast, so about the state of democracy, you know, uh, nationwide. And, uh, you know, it's uh, not, you know, we have to work to make New York better. And that's our job. But we can't ignore what's happening in in other states because it affects us. So, you know, I know Indivisible is a yeah, I mean, Empire State is New York, but I know Indivisible is a nationwide uh, organization. So, what are your thoughts on what's going on and maybe how we can fix it? So, I spent the better part of last year into this year working on trying to get the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed. Um, it was it, I, it was. It was strange because it was inspiring because I was meeting amazing people who were doing amazing work, but it was just so frustrating because we just couldn't get it done. And um, I mean, I sadly think what we need to do is get some better Democrats or better people elected into the Senate because that ultimately is how it, why it failed. Yeah. Um, and I, that's tough. You know, that requires, if you're in New York, going to another state and trying to get you know, people elected, and that's not the easiest thing to do. Um, it's very, what I kind of hope is that people are so angered by it, they go out and they vote and they, they do the right thing, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I was very inspired. There was a group of students that started in Arizona. They went on a hunger strike until the Freedom to Vote Act was passed. They came to Washington, D.C. I went down with some other people to um, kind of rally with them. And at, by that point, other students from uh, many of the states that have very suppressive laws came and they were all doing this hunger strike together. It was cold, it was very inspiring. I think that to me gives me great hope that the kind of the younger generation is gonna come up and really fight this fight. 
Um, I think what Indivisible can do is look at where we work in states and how we kind of change the local government mm -hmm. so that we can, you know, because it all starts locally. So if, you know, West Virginia can maybe do what New York did, or I'm from Pennsylvania originally, if Pennsylvania even can do what New York did and kind of change their local state government, eventually that will trickle down to the federal government. But I'm worried that that's going to take too long. And I, I, I don't know what the answer is, because I am very frustrated that those bills didn't get passed earlier this year. Yeah, me too. And, you know, I, I understand the, the notion of we need to elect more and better Democrats, especially in the Senate. Um, but we also have to elect them in an environment that is, you know, fighting against voting rights. And, and, and I, I don't, I'm not necessarily as tragically, um, you know, I, I'm not as, I'm not necessarily as pessimistic as many other people, because I do believe that sometimes we're still in an age where even though last year we kind of took it off, we're still in the age of activism and an age that people want to invest in their, their, their citizenhood by voting. And, and I do think that we can overcome some of these um, suppression. And, you know, the great work that the Elias Law Group has done on redistricting nationwide has kept us from losing this major battle, um, even though the Supreme Court has not helped us in, in many cases, but uh, yet we're still in a, an environment where um, the general outlook is that we're going to lose a lot of seats this year. And if we lose those seats, how do, you know, then really the, the bulwarks about our democracy that are keeping, uh, you know, the floodgates from opening nationally could uh you know, could open up again. So that that's what I'm I, I'm concerned about is that we're we're on this cliff's edge, and I, I hope people will vote on democracy issues, and they don't always do. And that's what you know. It, 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 that, that's the only thing that will stop this is if people vote in record numbers against anybody who's attacking their democracy. So, um, <laughs> And, and that's frustrating to me too, because you know you, you just think that you got to get out there and vote, and but the you know average person isn't looking at the the, the democracy issues until it until they are affected by it, and then it's too late. Right, so. but I I am hopeful. I mean, we saw the turnout in twenty twenty was incredible, and it was a pandemic, and I I stood in line for four hours, and you know and hopefully we can you know people still have that i don't know worry or motivation to go out well I, I hope that like you know people see what's happening around the world and happening you know in ukraine and here are these average people you know fighting for their very country and all we're asking is for you to go to the ballot box and you know and, that, and, and, and but so, yeah, and, and by the way, you mentioned wrong church, wrong pew, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I, that's a, a, a pet issue of mine as well. I've been working with Jared Berg on that. I, I, I led a, a group of Democratic commissioners that came out saying that, hey, this wouldn't really be that hard. And But I, I eventually hope that we can go to vote centers where you can go to any, yes. any yes. polling place um, in your county and vote 
and just have a ballot on demand. It's a little bit harder in New York City because it's different ballot styles, but it's, it's you know, the density is pro the problem in New York City, but, it, it, you know. The, and also people move. Like, yes. I remember I helped um, when the DA's race in Queens was having a recount and a lot of the people who were doing affidavit had moved and they just didn't know where to go. Like it was just confusing. Yeah. And sometimes they go to a polling place that's right down the street right. and it has right. the same ballot yeah. because especially, but even in Syracuse, which isn't as dense as, as York, my home base here, you know, that happens. We'll have polling people who go right down the street because they saw a vote here sign out front and they may have been directed to the right polling place, but, um, or maybe not, you know, and, and they just, or they ask for an affidavit and, and part of the law is that yes, we're supposed to direct them to the right polling place, but we're also supposed to give them an affidavit if they request it and we can't not give it to them if they demand it too. So that happens as well. So I do hope that, uh, uh, you know, we see some changes there. Yeah, um, I agree. So uh, uh, I always like to end this podcast uh, with a question that sometimes is frustrating and sometimes it's freeing to people, but what, what haven't we talked about, Danielle? What, what is something that we haven't been able to, uh, you know, chat about yet that you want, here's your time to, to get on your soapbox and, and preach a little bit. Okay, so because we're in the middle of it, but it's almost over, can we talk about petitioning? Oh, please, let's talk about petitioning, because I think you're okay. going to get an ally if you're against petitioning with me. But go ahead, yes, please, let's okay. talk about petitioning. So, um, <laughs> petitioning. So I've spent the last, I don't know how many weeks, out petitioning for various people who are running, or myself, because I'm running for state committee. And it's, I just really question why we do this process. I understand that it's the idea that the community is nominating you to run, but people really don't understand what they're signing. <laughs> people still have the fear of contracting COVID in some cases. Um, it's somewhat of a waste of a lot of paper when we're in an environmental crisis. And I'm not sure when I'm out there getting signatures for my state senator that anyone is really listening to me say, this is why you should sign this to get our state senator on the ballot. I think they're just trying to get away from me <laughs> and they'll just sign it. Yeah. And I really wish we could find some way to reform the system that makes sense, but I'm not really sure what that is, but I just think it's a very kind of our almost archaic old fashioned process that we need to find a better way. So I'm glad you brought this up because this is a pet peeve of mine as well, because I, you know, I've been a commissioner for 10 years, but I've been a party member for 25 and I every year do petitions, still doing it myself, uh, you know, and, um, and and I feel the same frustration. Now, I, I'm always really good at getting petitions. It's actually something I enjoy, but what frustrates me is, especially since I became commissioner, 90% of all of the offices that are on the ballot are not primaried. So there is no real competition for these signatures. And, and then, you know, a good amount of percentages aren't, aren't uh, there's no competition at all. And I feel that we, this is, this is gonna give me a chance to give you my pet. Uh, my solution for petitioning is that um, you know, I've floated this to lawmakers and, you know, some of them have liked it, some of them haven't, but is that we take the number of signatures that we have to get. Right now it's 
uh, 5% of the enrolled voters in, inside of a district. Have it, you know, have it at 2.5%, lower it significantly, and then give an option to people that want to bypass petitions by, by paying a filing fee. And that filing fee will go to support uh, voter education in New York. So all of the filing fees that are collected by the boards of elections can go into social media campaigns and getting people out to vote. And then all of a sudden, these campaigns that don't really have competition are paying into a fund that is bringing out the vote for the rest of us. And I think that that's a better use of our time. And sure, you could go out and get petitions if you want, if you don't want to pay the filing fee, because you don't want to have a system where, you know, only people who are rich can can get, a, get on the ballot. But we're not talking about a lot of money either. But still, you know, a, a no cost option is still there. But if we could get like just, you know, if you're running for mayor, you're paying $1,000 for the city of Syracuse and you're done, you know, you're on the ballot and then we can get onto the campaign. And, and then that money can be used to buttress local boards of elections that have so no, no, out, no, no, uh, you know, public outreach funds. We can use that for that. And that, that's my windmill to tip at. So. Isn't, um, I, I'm with you. Um, isn't <laughs> it a lot of work for the boards of elections the petitioning a, especially if someone challenges yes like that's what understanding it's a ridiculous amount of work um it's it, it, everything has to be treated with equal weight uh you know in terms of when a petition is coming in and rightfully so right i mean we we, we treat everybody uh equally when it comes in to make sure that we're 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 recording the process and and making sure that the record is is ready for the public to see, but that's a lot of work for place petitions that are not going to be challenged at any stretch of the imagination, and um, it's uh you know and even in primary areas where there are petition challenges, especially in high density places like New York City, the the process of going through each petition to knock somebody off the ballot to to keep people from having competition that to me as a not a democrat but a, a fan of democracy is a, is a bad thing so i would rather see more competition and 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 more races and if that means a filing fee so be it you know i mean i i live in a council district in new york city that had 14 people running last year you know they all got on the ballot so it's yeah. not like it was people sign. So it's like, maybe we could just forgo that and just let people run and we'll figure it out. You know, right. the voters will figure it out. Well, and, and I say, let's trust the voters, right? You right. know, like people say, oh, well, that will mean more candidates. Good, good. Because that means that the voters will have more choices. And, you know, if somebody got on the ballot and they can focus on, you know, they're going to still have to run a campaign, you know, and, and I understand the, the notion of like, oh, well, you know, petitions is a call from the public and thus it gives you a right to the ballot. Great. Yeah, I get that. And there should be, you know, reasonable uh, limits on, you know, how you can get on the ballot and how many lines and all of that. Um, but we can, this is an archaic process that wastes time, resources, energy, and it's not environmentally, uh, uh, you know, uh, effective as well. It, it just, it, it's, we need something. And the fact that we just never talk about any solutions to it is, is frustrating. 
you know, yeah. But, I'm with you and I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's do it. Hurry up. Well, Danielle, uh, I like I like to end these things around a half hour and spin about that. Um, I, you know, and thank you so much for the work that uh, Empire State Indivisible is doing, that you are doing, uh, that you are advocating for democracy. Uh, I really appreciate uh, all the, uh, you know, all the mouthpiece <laughs> and advocacy that you are are, are doing for us. Yeah. Um, so uh, again, that was uh, Daniel Brecker of Empire State Indivisible, lead uh, uh, organizer. And uh, next week, I will have Dana Balter. Uh, many of you may know her. She's a former congressional candidate up here in Onondaga County, but now she's with Citizen Action, another great democracy group. Uh, you know, we'll be talking next week uh, as, uh, you know, the petitions are being filed. Please make sure you check out my website, dustinzarney.com. You can subscribe. It's always going to be free. It's money I pay for out of my own pocket. I never take outside funds. And it's only there for my content and uh, election news in Onondaga County and around New York State. So check it out. And, uh, and remember, you know, the mask mandate has been lifted in New York, but, and the numbers are dropping statewide. But here in Onondaga County, not so much. We still have numbers rising. Um, for COVID cases. So consider that, it, to, please make sure you get vaccinated. That's the first thing you can do, get boosted. As soon as the second booster uh, shot becomes available, if you're over 50, please get that so we can reduce the, the spread. And it, you know, and if you are gonna wear a mask, please upgrade to your KN95s or, uh, or, or higher uh, uh, masks that are, will protect you as well as protect other people. And that's a way that we can get back to normal, maybe a little bit closer to normal this summer. So thank you very much and enjoy your day. Bye-bye.